welcome to State of Sustainability live from COP. I'm just going to preface this conversation with two things. One, we've got quite a bit of background noise because we're in situ. And two, we know that there is a lot of noise out there. So we're using this podcast to just say the things that everyone's thinking and perhaps not saying. So bear with us. I think it's going to be a good one. Welcome, sir. Hi, I see. Glad to be here. Uh, exciting to have a different location for this. I know. Outside. Outside, <laughs> in the open. Uh, children running around. Actually, uh, one of the things that they've done here in the green zone is that apparently all the schools have been encouraged to bring kids in so that they can kind of learn about climate change, learn about sustainability, wander around, see the pavilions. Uh, so it is quite busy. I think that's probably a, a really good thing, but there will be a bit of background noise and, and the occasional child may be scampering through in the background. Well, I think on that, who who is here? What kind of characters are you meeting with? Are you seeing? Oh, Give God. us the rundown. So many ways to answer this question. So I think that let me kind of maybe tell this story six months ago to now. Six months ago, most companies that I was speaking with were telling me that they weren't sure if they would come. And uh, most professionals in the sustainability space were, were, were telling me that they, they thought this COP would be a bit of a washout in some ways. Uh, I think because of all the noise around uh, the COP presidency and so on. Um, what I'm finding here now that I'm here is that literally every company seems to be here. And the question is whether they have a couple of people uh, like we do or whether they have 50 or 60 or 70 people. I think you came across the JBS team and they had they had a whole whole set of people with them at the events that they were going to. And I think you really see that whole range. Um, in terms of types of characters, this is a slightly charged one. But uh, I said this on a LinkedIn post recently. I'm, a spicy LinkedIn a, post. <laughs> a somewhat spicy LinkedIn post. I, I thought two or three times before posting it. Uh, I did test it with a few other people that, that I met here. and They said they thought it was OK. Uh, and so I feel like we're seeing three types of characters here. Uh, one is the missionaries. The missionaries are the, the zealots, the ones who have a big picture vision and are charting course to that vision. Uh, and you know, you'll hear them talking about, I was at an event where I heard someone talk about the $3 trillion blue economy. And then when you ask them what the $3 trillion blue economy is, they talk about sailing, fishing, uh, tourism, tourism on the ocean, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it really makes you wonder who do you invoice for the blue economy? Who do you actually, whose name do you put on the invoice? If you're, the if, who's the, exactly, if you're, if, you're, if you're an innovator or you're trying to actually get your hands on that money. Um, the, the second category I'm seeing here is the, the workhorses. And I think these are the ones that in many ways kind of have the most dignity, but are sort of part of the system. Uh, in that they're, they're kind of, they're going through with their agenda, they're going through with their roadmap and they're in implementation mode. And you'll often find them actually even, you know, within the oil and gas industry, these are the people who are uh, helping reduce the fugitive emissions and the flaring uh, emissions, all which needs to happen. But they're kind of maybe missing the bigger picture uh, of sustainability and climate change, and they're solving for their little piece without challenging the, the system. The third category that I'm seeing here is the parasites. These ones are somewhat newer to the, to the party. And uh, you'll find them in suits at the nightcap event you were at, uh, or at the dinner. They they work for you know. I mean, you, you have a lot of bankers here. You have a lot of law firms. Uh, I was actually just you know just uh, a couple of hours ago, I was meeting a senior lawyer at a Magic Circle law firm, 
and he was telling me that over the past three months he's been repackaging every bond that he's worked on as a green bond, uh, every capital financing event as a sustainability financing event, and he says it's exactly the same stuff we were doing last year or five years ago, it's just now called sustainable. Rebranded. Rebranded. And so you see a lot of these parasites. Um, in all honesty, I'm a bit of all three probably, and many of us here are a bit of all three. Um, and you know, I think I think that's what you kind of need to to get things moving. I was speaking with Fiona Howie from Foundation Earth, and she was saying that you, you you sort of have to be this hybrid of all three if you want to make any change happen. The real question is, uh, who translates for all the others to each other? How do you get the missionaries to to actually manage to unlock some of the capital that the parasites are bringing to the party? If you speak with any of the banks here, and so one of the unique things about this COP is that you could probably have spent any amount of money here. So we we probably spent about seven or eight thousand uh, dollars at altruistic uh, in our presence. It's the real guerrilla warfare version of COP, and you know I would say commercially speaking, we will probably make a five, six, seven, seven times return on what we've spent, and. At the same time, you could have spent seventy thousand, or seven hundred thousand, or seven million dollars, and probably even multiples of that. And there are definitely companies here that have spent multiples, as in tens of millions of dollars, effectively, around the whole, you know, COP presence and peripherals. And they are all expecting to make a return on that. Yeah, I mean, look at the green zone. It is just like glitzy beyond belief. There are like the most incredible stages, panels, so much money has been thrown in it. I mean, you were saying that there are cars lifted upside down with flags and banners all over them. Yeah, exactly. I was standing in front of a, a hydrogen taxi, hydrogen powered taxi showpiece at a, at a little booth somewhere. And I, I was literally wondering, where is this hydrogen going to be coming from? Are we going to be converting electricity generated with fossil fuels into hydrogen to, to power this car? And, uh, <laughs> There we go. We've got, got a little fan club joining us here. And um, it really makes me wonder at some of the stuff that's going on here. Uh, the green zone is, is a bit like, it's a bit like Disneyland. That's why there are so many children there, there as well. children and families. But you know, it, it's Disneyland in every aspect. Mm -hmm. there, there are attractions. There is a playground. Mm -hmm. there, is, there, there are many, many restaurants. Uh, there are goodie bags there are beyond goodie belief. Bags. There are yeah. goodie bags beyond belief. There's fantasy and make-believe all over this place. Yeah, and you can find your, your adventure in any way you want to. But then on that, so if everybody's here, does that spotlight who isn't here more? Like, is, are there any big gaps of people who you haven't seen there yet? And why? Why yeah, aren't they? Actually, good, good question. I think, I think I, there are actually like two camps that I've found that aren't here. One, I think, I would kind of put into the, the conscientious objector camp. And I, I was speaking with the team at Lush, for instance, and they said that the money that they would have spent being at COP, they actually preferred to use that money to bring activists. And I think that's really, really impressive, really commendable, frankly. And the activists that they want to bring are activists from uh, emerging markets, global south, uh, areas that are going to be suffering the brunt of climate change and they wanted them to be here and to represent. And I think that's fantastic, to be honest, in so many ways. Uh, the second camp that I'm seeing not here are companies that uh, feel like COP is a bit of a distraction from the work that they should be doing, and they'd rather focus on the work and then come back to talk about it maybe at next COP. So I, I had this conversation with uh, the head of sustainability at one of the largest meat companies 
uh, in the world based out of the US. And they were telling me that they didn't think they had a lot to talk about uh, this, this time around. They're going to be doing the hard job of the heavy lifting of, of, of decarbonizing their business. And then they're going to come back and talk about it next year. And I think those are both very valid, very, very commendable reasons not to be here. Yeah. And I think maybe my last point on this mix of people, I think we've seen this mix being reflected in the actual panel discussions. I know that we've, we've attended quite a few panel discussions, which perhaps, perhaps have covered the breadth, but not the depth of the subject. Do you have anything to, to speak about on that? I think that there's a bunch of interesting stuff happening. And let me first say that I agree with everyone who is saying that not enough is happening. And this is certainly true. And I don't think we're anywhere on track for 1.5 degrees. And I think we'll be lucky if we can be within two. So let me kind of first just preface and caveat with saying that this is nowhere near enough. Within that context, I think we're seeing a few interesting themes. And so the consensus on methane and the oil and gas industry is meaningful, is significant, is incremental and different. And I think it will, it will create some change. I don't think it'll be enough, but I think it's still, it's still something we should all be proud and, and grateful for in, in its own right. Not that we owe gratitude to the system, but you know, it's, it's, it's still something. I think the second is we're seeing a lot of interesting momentum now on, again, methane in dairy. And you can see the DMAA as well launched uh, with Kraft Heinz and Danone and other companies in the lead. And I think that that's, that's a really impressive coalition and movement. We were speaking with David Shaw and Kraft Heinz, and he's been really one of the kind of the ringleaders or really at the forefront of this. And he was telling us that they actually had so many new companies come to them, even in the last few weeks, wanting to be part of this. And they just couldn't process the inclusion, the membership fast enough to actually have everyone represented at the big announcement at COP. But just the fact that there is all that interest and excitement, I think that's fantastic. And Yeah, and we're seeing that across the board with the Regenerative Landscape Alliance. I know that that had an amazing array of companies that had signed up and committed to it, but there were still some big gaps in terms of companies who perhaps wanted to be part of it, but didn't, didn't quite get oh, the memo sure. in time. Oh, for sure, right? And, and I think you know, another great ex example of an initiative backed by I think it's the WBCSD and the, the Food and Land Use Coalition, in that case, amongst others. And, you know, Regen Ag and Methane actually are both great examples of important topics which have not had a lot of consensus on definition of how to approach them, how to tackle them, how to account for them. And I think that, you know, both of those are, are really important for that reason. Uh, we see a lot of movement on investment. Mm -hmm. I would say there's kind of a let's say a big foot, little foot, or like a like, like the big piece and a small piece. Uh, the big piece is the announcements on more kind of, I'm going to say climate finance, because I think it's actually energy transition and specifically renewable energy finance. And, you know, that's in the tens of billions of dollars. And that's exciting to see. At the same time, I think we need to start to, as a sustainability community, we need to start to see that differently because most renewable energy is now an attractive investment irrespective of sustainability. And I don't think that funds and investors should get kudos anymore for investing in renewable energy. I think that is business as usual. And the stuff that you get kudos for uh, should be incremental. It should not be that. It should be other stuff. And I think there are exceptions. I think if you're going out there and 
helping to really install so you know large-scale solar and wind farms in emerging markets in hard to reach areas mm -hmm. that's different but for most of the money that's going to be invested I actually think it's going to go into mainstream sort of projects that is a shame but so when you speak about these incremental investments into other initiatives what what would be the initiatives that for us? So that's the little foot, I think, right? Okay. The, the big foot is the stuff that we we're just talking about. I think the little foot is actually what's going to emerging markets. And to be honest, a lot of us were hoping for bigger announcements there. We're still not seeing anything significant yeah. uh, in terms of the scale of funding to go towards climate change mitigation. It's a fraction of what it needs to be. And I think if we talk about actual adaptation and resilience, I don't hear that talked about nearly enough. Oh. Uh, let me give an example. I, I was at an event the other day, and we were all talking about raising the level of ambition for 2050 and what we want to achieve for 2050. And you know, we're talking about uh, hydrogen and different fuels and, and peak uh, peak emissions and so on. But actually, I come from Pakistan, and, and over there, what we're expecting is 40 million people are going to lose their homes because you have, you have them living in areas which are already hitting 49 degrees and higher sporadically over the summer. And when it's not 49 degrees and higher, you're also having flooding, uh, washing away people's homes. This is all the actual impact of climate change. And I don't see anyone promising tens of billions of dollars going towards constructing homes in areas where they're not going to get washed away or in ways that they're not going to get washed away and helping relocate the tens, if not hundreds of millions of people who are going to be displaced as a result of climate change. We need COPs to solve this problem. We don't need COPs to solve for rolling out tens of billions of dollars of re renewable energy assets in the global north. We need someone to help us figure out what's going to happen to Bangladesh. Yeah. And I think we were at another event where there was a survey that you could you know, put forward your recommendations for us. So what would be the key lever for like unlocking this finance and getting a transition going. And I think the majority, the majority put down collaboration and stakeholder engagement. But actually, I think it's another point that we need to highlight, which is financial, financial like alignment and yeah. putting more money on the table. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that, you know, we're, we're, we're all in Kumbaya mode, right? We're all talking about collaboration and partnership and, 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 and fraternity between corporates. Whereas, whereas actually we need to be talking about incentives and you know, there, there's vast sums of money here on one side of the fence and there's vast need for money on the other side and there's nothing bridging the gaps, mm. right? There's clearly no shortage of money available to be spent on global causes when it's needed. We've seen that with financial meltdowns, we've seen that with COVID and we're starting to see a bit of that here. The problem is there's also massive uh, volumes of hungry mouths on the other side and the ability to actually connect the dots and turn capital into incentives that can actually filter through the value chain, that's missing. Yeah. So on that note, I guess we've kind of touched on a little bit, but if there's one thing that you would spotlight in terms of like what everyone is thinking, but perhaps not saying, what, what, would, that, what would that be in your eyes? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that there's a, the, the big thing that I think a lot of people are wondering is whether the whole COP process and the sustainability movement, if you will, has been sort of taken over by, by corporates. And I think that there's a big just theme of regulatory capture that we're seeing, and we're seeing it repeated at multiple levels. At the highest level, it's about the actual negotiations uh, around global climate policy. And you know, this COP is in many ways evidence of that. 
at another level, we're seeing the largest corporations stepping in to influence frameworks and standards. And sometimes they do it as part of industry coalitions, where they are the loudest voice. And sometimes they do it behind the scenes. And sometimes they go through lobbying directly to government agencies. And that's, that's, that's quite disturbing, right? Because part of the reason that they're in the situation we're in is incumbency. Greg Jackson at Octopus actually puts this very well, which is we don't owe incumbency anything. And actually, the reason that we have a climate change problem is because of old ways and old processes. And we need to be ready to challenge that. And that doesn't happen if the, the watchdogs or the watchers, regulators, are effectively in the same camp as corporations. You don't end up with a world where you challenge incumbency. And so what would be the levers that corporates can pull in, the, in this sense? Uh, you know, I think that there's a few levers here. And if I, if I define the problem, let's say, of how do you channel, how do you make sure that every dollar spent on sustainability has the maximum possible return, then I think that there's a few levers here. I think one is around, let's say, unification of frameworks and standards. And, you know, uh, Jason at JBS actually put this very well, which is, he says, look, there's no shortage of frameworks and standards out there. We need some unification consolidation to make this easy. Uh, what happens in the global south needs to be able to inform what's going to happen in the global north. And it's not helpful if every subcategory in every industry in every region has its own framework for you know how they're going to account for, let's say, product level emissions, uh, for instance, right? Or if regenerative agriculture is defined differently in Latin America versus South Asia. Uh, I think that there's another piece, which is uh, we need to be able to have changes flow through into contracts. And so it's one thing for us to talk about regenerative agriculture in lofty terms. And it's another for us to say that actually every company signing up to this sort of commitment is going to reshape its supplier contracts to be longer term contracts that then actually give the supplier coverage to invest in change. Because right now, most commodity purchases still happen in some form of spot purchase. It's not a long term commitment that de-risks the supplier. And so, you know, at, at Altruistic, we, we obviously do emissions measurement and product breakdowns and supply chain engagement. We want to facilitate the flow of capital into supply chains. And one of the areas that we've now had to innovate is we've worked with one of the world's leading law firms and their ESG practice to define the kind of articles that should be embedded into their supplier, into supply chain contracts. We've had to do that. It wasn't our main main business, but we had to do that to enable what we want to happen in the world. And you know, now we're thinking about whether we should just make those articles open source uh, rather than just making them available to our customers so that other businesses can use them and embed them. Uh, a really great innovation that happened in the tech space was uh, the Y Combinator SafeNote, which was the, the Y Combinator, which is kind of like a startup incubator and investor. Uh, released a, a model, a template of a legal contract that startups could use to raise early stage capital. And because they made it open source, it was very easy for everyone to start using it for free. And I think we need more of that to happen in the kind of legal contracts and articles that would enable suppliers to invest and suppliers to actually do their job differently. Yeah. And I think what we're hearing from a lot of sustainability professionals is that a major pain point for them is having to speak all these different languages, whether it be across like R&D, whether it be across finance, whether it be across like procurement and law now. So actually having a solution like this that can perhaps like streamline that would be incredibly helpful, I'm sure. Um, so bringing us back to COP, I guess the last question is like, what are you most excited about? What has like 
piqued your interest? What is the highlight for you? You know, that's a good question. I think that, I guess, and maybe this is more just me thinking about, right? Like I, I've been in the sustainability space for close to 20 years in one form or another. And for 15 of those years, you were wandering through no man's land. Uh, you know, I was I was telling someone at an event just here that I, I very briefly headed the ocean practice at McKinsey, and it lasted all of six months because there was no client willing to pay anything. And so I think that there's there's you know, genuinely some excitement in the fact that there is so much momentum now behind this topic. And I think that what we saw starting maybe with COP26 in Glasgow was that this had become a retail event. And, and I think that's actually continued here, right? You can actually see even in this podcast video, you see families wandering around. And when I was a kid growing up in, in Pakistan, I was taught that fossil fuels should be preserved because they were a scarce resource and there weren't enough of them. And if we, if we didn't put off the lights, we'd run out of fossil fuels one day. And it, it's taken 20 years, 30, 30 plus years for that narrative now to become one of saving the world. Uh, and I'm actually very optimistic with all these kind of families and kids that we see wandering around grew up with that narrative versus the one that I grew up with. Yeah, it definitely is an exciting buzz. I mean, I thought I think I saw that there is 100,000 people who had visited COP already, which is absolutely monumental. So what do you think is going to come out of it? What's the main thing that you think you're going to see, see from COP28? I think that one of the things that we're seeing now that wasn't true a couple of years ago is that sustainability has been sort of absorbed by business. Yeah. And, and actually, like, despite all the noise around the war against woke and, and so on, what you're seeing is that there was a lot of hype a few years ago, and there's still a lot of hype. But actually, no business that I have seen has actually, in a real way, moved back of what they're going to be implementing. And so if you take the Unilever effect, right, or the Unilever example, a lot of companies or individuals have looked at Unilever's public statements and seen a retrenchment. Whereas I actually see a reality check. I see what was a very broad commitment to do really very little practical stuff on very many things. And I see that being shifted towards a deeper, kind of more institutionalized commitment to do, do stuff on a few things. And I think that's what we're seeing happen more and more across business, is that every business is actually moving forward on the implementation. Certainly all the ones that I've spoken with. I haven't spoken with every big business on the planet, but I've spoken with probably most of them in the last 24 months. And I just see a lot of uh, kind of slow buildup of momentum into real impact. Again, I caveated at the start of this episode was saying it's not going to be enough, mm. but it's it's more and it's becoming more faster, if that yeah. makes sense. Movement in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you, sir. I feel like this has been a good episode just wrap up what's going on. We're at the end of week one, so feeling a little bit tired on the ground. But yeah, if you've got any questions for us, please pop them, pop them in a message to Seth. And thank you so much. Thank you, Izzy. Pleasure to be here and uh, looking forward to running the next one.